Welcome to the B2B Growth Marketer Podcast with Alex Mead. I've invited sales, marketing, and business leaders to discuss their successes, failures, and everything else in between. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Today on the show, we are talking with Dan Englander. And Dan is the host of the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. He's also the CEO and founder of Sales Schema. And, you know, like what attracted me to Dan is this idea of building relationships and personalization at scale while creating like meaningful relationships, but doing it scale in a sales and outbound way. And it's not so much, you know, in the episode, you'll hear this and we'll kind of talk about personalization and like the buzzword around that. And for him and his process and their sales schema, they take a different approach than just, uh, you know, as he said, like writing a love letter. So today's podcast, we're really digging into how do you make meaningful connections in sales? Uh, how do you get people to not be mad at you for emailing you? And really how to grow, how to find that success, how to find those opportunities. And, you know, all the way from, you know, hiring someone like him or just, you know, utilizing your own network and finding ways to make more meaningful connections. So enjoy the show. Today, we have Dan Englander from, he's a CEO and founder of Sales Schema. Dan, welcome. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. So, you know, with, with doing some, you know, your, your agency, you know, your company is really a consulting for, for other agencies, right? So helping agencies understand how to build sales processes. Is that, is that close to correct? Or maybe you can fill me in with exactly yeah. what you guys are aiming for sure, yeah, definitely close to correct. Um, for a little context, my background is in the agency space. First, working on the account side, kind of in the social media agency world, back when you could just say we're a cool social agency, and then brands would give you billions of dollars or whatever. <laughs> uh, and then led new business for a number of years for Creative House and helped them grow and get to seven figures and stuff. And then started sales scheme in like 2014. Um, so th there's a number of things we do. The main thing is is outsource business development, where we're teeing up meetings for our clients. Um, doing a lot of outreach. We've done everything, every tactic you can imagine related to outbound to get meetings with very skeptical buyers. Um, we also do a bit with with data and reporting um, and we do some stuff with training as well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, as a, you know, this, I we are obviously an agency and that this is something that I think a lot of agencies don't necessarily, um, it's the smaller agencies that are starting, this isn't something that's on their radar right away. Uh, growth is usually organic, it's referrals, and then you get to a point where all of a sudden now you need to do new business and sales and business development. And uh, if, for, speaking from experience, it's been a lot of learning and building on our own. Uh, yeah. And I think if we had something like this earlier on or invested in it, it would have maybe helped or make, make, made all the difference. Yeah, and it, it's always, um, it, sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles uh, for you know a boutique services businesses you get you have different people wearing a lot of hats that's just kind of normal par for the course um and I, and I think with in the agency world maybe more than other areas like if you compare it to like a tech startup world or some other industry yeah um, there tend to be kind of like you know cobbler's children dynamics where a lot of energy goes towards clients and doesn't always go go inwardly so that's that's a big thing we're looking to help our clients with is to build more consistency through through the right fractional team basically yeah. So tell me, what is your, everybody, everybody, I think in sales has an idea, a philosophy, a methodology. What is, what is yours and scale sales schema? Like what's your, where, how do you guys approach sales and business development? 
Yeah, great question. And it's evolved definitely over time. So I'll kind of give give you the the Star Wars story life cycle <laughs> as a way of answering that. So <laughs> good audience. Real- this is good audience. It's good good analogy yeah. for me at least. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Maybe for lots of people. So in the early days, I think we were a lot like a lot, like most Legion companies and most B2B salespeople, right? Where it's like, okay, you want to go after CMOs of this industry of this company size, we're going to build this list of them pretty easy to do. We're going to build a funnel, drip sequence, chase them around, do A-B testing. Hey, what if we describe the service this way instead of that way and included case study A instead of case study B? And what we saw was like, okay, this this isn't really working that well. And then we had certain case studies where it was like perfectly positioned to tell a story. Like we had this branding agency, they're based in the Bay Area. Perfectly positioned, had done every big tech company was on their, their roster, great salespeople, best case studies. We tried every permutation of, of messaging to get it right. Still, like nobody wanted to talk to them because surprise, surprise, um, a skeptical CMO or whoever is getting constantly pitched by agencies. And it's not just the agency world. Um, you can look at any service or any company you could start from a laptop and an internet connection um, is getting more and more, more crowded. And I think with COVID, this dynamic went up massively. It went, you know, hockey stick. It was already on the way. And then now everyone that was at a trade show and saying expertise in their own little world is now doing it online through, through a few traffic jam channels. So I'm telling people things they already know. Um, to, to bring the star philosophy and to get a little bit academic, there's a great uh, copywriter, uh, an author that I love, uh, Long Dead. His name is Eugene Schwartz. He wrote a book called Breakthrough Advertising. Uh, and he kind of came up with the idea of market life cycles and the idea that every market goes through a life cycle. Um, in the beginning, you know, the least aware stage, you might have Facebook day one or new piece of technology. There's no competition. You have the next aware stage, which is like bringing up one differentiator or one feature. You think of this as like when sunglasses first came out, maybe a few years later, they came out with, hey, these also are, are waterproof or whatever. A little bit more competition. The marketing gets longer, more lengthy. Third is process. This is where you think about maybe a lot of what you might be doing for clients or whatever, developing long form content, especially in the B2B world. Our process is different. We do all these things way differently and you know it's all about process based and there's more and more, there's increasingly more skepticism, increasingly more competition. Stage four is a bloodbath. That's Lyft versus Uber. That's like, you know, these this direct comp. And stage five is the most skeptical. And I think this is where we find most B2B service businesses and a lot of other businesses. Um, and that doesn't mean it's a bad market to be in, Does it? It just, but you just have to contend with that dynamic of, of what people are up against. Um, and in the agency world, this is super pronounced. It's like if we're contacting somebody, even if our client has differentiators, people are saying, I know what you are. I know what you do. You're an agency. Unless I have a need right now um, yeah. and I'm ready to go into a pitch, I'm not even going to talk to you. So yeah. the problem with that is that's not a sustainable way to do outbound um, and to make outbound work as a channel. And outbound is a fantastic channel because it allows you to build that relationship today instead of tomorrow. So in the most skeptical buyer market, Eugene Schwartz wrote about this is when it becomes about identifying with your customer or with your client instead of talking about products and features and benefits. It's less about what you do and more about your identification with, with the client. And incomes, this is where everything dovetails with like Simon Sinek and vision and all these things. Um, but what it means for outbound, what it means for our world is what we call relationship sales at scale. This is something we're trade, we've trademarked or we're in the process of trademarking. And what it means is that instead of leading with what your product does, it becomes, 
more about finding the people that are already likely to talk to you, kind of like your tribe and building that relationship sooner rather than later. So to get tangible, you know, when we onboard a new client, there's not one way we do this, but often what we're doing is we're figuring out, okay, who, who, what's your total addressable universe? What are the specific accounts that you want to reach out to? And then how can we get you in there? Do you have a friend of a friend that's already in that account? Let's map that out. Did you go to college with the CMO of this account? Um, and, and, you know, we have others where we get really crazy where it's like, hey, I'm a fellow ex- expat of Germany. I saw you, you're from Germany as well. So even if people never hire us that are listening to this, I think that's a better way to think about it is we're getting to a place where the scarcest commodities trust and it's getting harder and harder to establish that trust through case studies or through content alone. All those things are great. They all help. But in terms of yeah. outreach, a lot of the trust is based on commonality. And that's kind of how we think about campaigns. So I've rambled a lot. Let me pause for a second. <laughs> no, that's no, that's it's it's interesting because I think you're right in your stages you know, seem, seem accurate, even from our own personal experiences, working with clients, like what they're doing and where, what the responses that they are getting. And really what you're saying is let's stop emailing people about the problem they have and all the solutions you have to fix that, but try to make that, find a way to make that personal connection, that, that, that relationship. And that's how you're going to get into that sale. Maybe now, maybe in six months, because because my experience with like relationship sales is it is a longer ter- tail game, but it does yield better sales processes once they do, you know, really start in my experience. Exactly. And, th- and that's a big thing that we focus on is, you know, setting that expectation with outbound is, yeah, you, you can get lucky. You might reach out to somebody at the perfect time, but you can't really set yeah. your watch to that. Um, so for a lot of reasons, I think people are, you know, they think outbound won't work for them or it's not as good as, as, you know, as some other channel. And yes, a referral that's a perfect fit is always going to be better than, than anything yeah. you could ever imagine. The problem is being able to rely on that because those are sporadic and few and far between. And then when you get that referral, uh, sometimes it's, they're comparing it to other people. Um, it's the, the, the con with outbound is that you're getting in sooner. The sales cycle is usually going to take longer and, uh, you know, and people don't yeah. quite know what you do yet. They're not ready to buy. The upside yeah. is you get to decide who you go after and you get to get in sooner and guide that decision making process. And it essentially, and the other thing, which I think is not full appreciated as much as it should be is it's getting riskier and riskier to rely on outside platforms. I think this used to not be the case, but you know, we've just seen so many examples of this now where you build a community on a Facebook or a LinkedIn and then guess what? They switch up their policies. Now you got to pay if you want to contact your, your people. You rank yeah. your site in Google. Guess what? Half the first page is now ads. You run ads. Yeah. You say you can't beat them, join them. You run ads. Guess what? There's too many competitors now. You're out You're out. Yeah. cost and yeah. you can't make it viable. So the idea of owning your list and owning the people that you – and actually having first-party data and focusing on – you know, owning your marketing um, is really done through email, you know, through email largely, um, not entirely, but being able to own that list, have, it could be a newsletter as well, um, but also doing yeah. outbound really matters now and is really more important than other things. Yeah. So how, so outbound, you know, cold email by nature is people that aren't necessarily expecting you. You're, you're emailing them. You're, you're crafting something to get a res- an open and then a response with your philosophy and model, instead of doing that via you know, LinkedIn or, or Facebook or on, you know, getting, you know, Google disruptions that you've mentioned. When you're doing outbound for clients, 
is it more of uh, like what what is your approach? Is it is it purely how do we make a connection just to say we're similar, we get it, we want to be a resource? Is that is that a kind of the the philosophy and messaging there? Or like when you're when you're building these for clients, like what's your what's your thought on on emails? Yeah, great question. I, I think the the main way we're thinking about it is how can we best de-risk a conversation with somebody that's senior enough in the right account. Um, so what it's not is so much just spitting out a list of decision makers and and hitting them up and pitching them. Um, I'm not saying that never works, and I'm not saying we never do that. There might be a case where yeah. our clients have something that is in an earlier market lifecycle, right? Something that's really new. And it's like, hey, like we were doing this thing that's really interesting. Can, can I pitch it to you? And maybe it's worth doing that. I think in the tech startup world, that might be a little more viable. But yeah. usually we're not doing that. Usually it's about de-risking a conversation. So from there, you know, a lot of a lot of what the process takes is being able to convert that person into the sales process, right? And that that comes through having a good conversation, qualifying them, you know, bringing them to the next stage and the next stage from there. Uh, and also follow up, frankly. I think a lot of the times um, people look, try to over automate this or they get over their heads with technology. What we recommend to our clients is like, okay, we've managed to build you a relationship with a C-level, VP, whatever, yeah. a, a person in an ideal account that we've already identified as an account you want to do business with. Um, but they're probably not going to be ready to do business with you in one, two, four months, six months, whatever. Just having a process, something simple where it's once a week, you know, here's everyone that I haven't contacted in 30, 60 days, um, finding a meaningful reason to reconnect. Hey, we're doing new work. Yeah. We have new things. What decision did you make here? All of those are viable ways to, to wake people back up again. So we have a lot of resources on that sort of thing. Yeah. So as, so as you as a company, are you, are you running this process for people or are you more consulting and, and, and teaching them how to think about sales? Yeah. Most of the time we're actually running this uh, for, for okay. our clients and, and our, our whole pitch is that, and, and you know, we, we're not, we're not fit for everybody. I think usually we're working with agencies once they, once they get to a certain stage and also once they're going after a certain level of business, we tend to be a fit, but regardless, even if people are listening and they ever hire us, um, I think even, you know, a, a way, a good way to think about sales is like you want to start getting as much of a division of duties as, as possible. Mm -hmm. This is not our invention. You know, I think, Aaron Ross talks a lot about this predictable revenue, um, but we're essentially, you know, providing the team for the investment of roughly, you know, a junior or mid-level employee. But even if you're, you're not there yet, I think getting into um, how you can do that with your existing team is really important. You know, could you could you have somebody teeing up meetings for you so that you're spending 90% of your time uh, building relationships yeah. and pitching uh, and that sort of thing is kind, is kind of where we're, is our, is our philosophy with it rather. Yeah. So how about this? If you, if there's a salesperson out there listening that, you know, there, there are people on LinkedIn beating the personalization drum. Uh, there's people out there beating it is at like scale, but like they having a hard time grasping how to start. What's your, what's your advice to a salesperson out there who knows they should get into it? Maybe their cold email tactics aren't working as well as they used to. And you know, what's your advice for them? Great question. I will answer it just to give a little context. I think personalization is one of these buzzwords that annoys me so much because it it's used to describe anything. You know, like somebody that's just using your first name in an email is described as personalization. So there's definitely degrees of it, and I think that if you're working off of the same thing that everyone's doing, where it's like I saw that you are a 
you know, manufacturing company and you are in Nebraska and we do a lot of business with manufacturing. Like you're not going to fool anyone. And, yeah. People aren't stupid. Um, you need something yeah. that's more meaningful. So a lot, a lot of what we talk about is finding that fine line between personalization and scale. If you don't have enough scale, then you could send 10 beautiful love letters a day, but the timing's bad or they just don't get through or whatever. Yeah. And then you've wasted your time. If you have all scale and no personalization, then you go to spam and you blow out a domain or whatever. So yeah. that's the first thing is finding that balance for us and our clients. That usually means us contacting around 50 to 100 people per business day, which may sound like a whole lot or not that many, depending on what you're used to. So to answer your question, um, in terms of advice, I think a lot of it is getting away from trying to create uh, an over-automated funnel with a bunch of drip sequences and really thinking about, okay, what what's right in front of my face that I'm missing right now? Like, for example, like you can go on LinkedIn right now, export all of your first degree connections, figure out what, you know, with maybe you can do this yourself pretty easily, if not hiring a list builder yeah. for X pennies on the dollar to figure out, okay, who in my network already is already in the industries I want to do business with. And then just batching up an email that says, "Hey, it's all we're connected. We haven't yeah. talked in a while. Um, uh, we'd, we'd love to see if, you know how we can help each other. Happy to make any intros. Can we find fifteen minutes?" And a good number of people will take that call with you. And then before that call, you're going on their LinkedIn. You're saying, "Okay, it's all they're connected." You can filter <laughs> this. this. is all super easy. You yeah. can filter it and say, yeah. "Okay, it's all they're connected to." CMO of a company I want to do business with. Hey, well, is this an intro you'd feel comfortable with? If so, like I'll follow up with you. It takes some work, but. This is all stuff you can do over the course of a month or two months, and yeah. it will absolutely lead to hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in business. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's a that's an example of like one we we do that in a more sophisticated batched way, but that's something you can do right away, you know, and yeah, and run with basically. That's that's good. I'm glad you made the clarification on personalization because I agree it has become uh, an overused buzzword that can mean nothing and everything all at the same time. And uh, a lot of people are saying personalization at scale. And personalization to me is, I go to your LinkedIn, Dan, I find out that you're in, you are a big fan of jujitsu and I find some sort of connection there and, and email you about it or reach out to you about it. Like that's how I've always thought of personalization is taking the time to find something that's meaningful or that is maybe like a little deeper in their digital footprint, maybe a podcast episode or an article. Uh, and I have found that is a great tool, but it's hard at scale. Like that, that takes yeah. time, five, 10 minutes a person. Right. And that's, that's a lot of what we do at the risk of being pitchy and salesy on your, your podcast, but hey, it's a yeah. sales podcast. Um, a lot of what we're doing under the hood is drawing from a lot of different wells, right? So I think this this might be useful. Like the way philosophically we think about campaigns is different than some some companies where I think what's been sold is a little bit of a bill of goods in the, the lead gen space where it's like, yeah. you know, hey, we're going to create this machine. You turn it on. Uh, you never have to turn it off. And it's just going to you know spit out leads. Um, and, or even if you're trying to do it yourself, I think a lot of people are thinking in that way. I'm going to create this machine and yeah. turn it on, turn it off. The, the, the more healthy way to think about it and the more healthy thing to plan for is thinking of distinct campaigns, right? We're going to have a campaign that might last a few weeks. It might last six months, maybe even a year if you get really lucky and you find something that works. Um, but it's something that will have to be, you have to rebuild it and think of something new, just like any advertiser would or any creative would um, out there. So that's how we're thinking about it is we might have a campaign based on a commonality and a certain way of doing business. It'll work for a little while. Then we got to think of something else. So if we're thinking of one yeah. campaign, we might be pulling data from a lot of different places. We might be pulling data from 
you know, bios on company websites, from trade associations, from event pages. Uh, and that's where a lot of the secret sauce comes in. And that's where we have 15 list yeah. builders that are figuring out how to structure an email in a way where everyone who gets it is thinking, oh, this person sat down and wrote me a custom email. Um, and that's yeah. really what what makes this work. Uh, and that's that's tough to do at scale. But even if you never hire us, you can start thinking in that way. And, and if you're even if you're contacting yeah. 50 people a day, um, it really is going to move the needle. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're, you, are you essentially when you're creating these campaigns, essentially segmenting your audience of who you're targeting. So when you craft that email, it feels hyper-personal to them because you've been able to say our campaign is CMO for manufacturing uh, of this size and uh, connected to, you know, maybe a person on LinkedIn and you're crafting an email that, that is feels personal to all of them, but it's not necessarily different for each person. Is that is that like what I'm kind well, of hearing? Almost exactly. Almost exactly. So we might have a campaign, Alex. So if you were reaching out to, to B2B manufacturers, <clears throat> we might have a campaign that says, um, you, you know, hey, I'm Alex. I'm based in San Diego. Um, I saw that, you know, you used to, I don't, let's say you played lacrosse in college. I saw you also sure. used to play lacrosse in college. Uh, we do a lot of work in your space. Also, you're in our backyard. Um, we're an agency. We do this, that, and the third. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your, your exact value prop or what you're up to. No, you're um, fine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of compositing our, our clients as well. Um, yeah. And, and then from there, you know, would you be open to a call? And then from, from there, what, what's happening is a, a much higher percentage of people are going to be willing to speak. But even the people that aren't willing to speak aren't mad at you. You know, they're not clicking the spam yeah. button. They're like, they might not get back to you, but they're not going to get mad if you hit them up again in 30 days. And that's that's really what we're going for because the cost of getting it wrong is higher. You know, outbound's getting yeah. tougher to do. The the robots are smarter. If you go, you, you get spammed too much, uh, you, you know, you're not going to be able to do this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. that's that's a big part of this for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I know I've sent a good email when I get a response that says like, kudos on your homework. I responded because of that. Like, hit us up in two months. Uh, like those are my, maybe not my favorite. I like it better when they say, yep, let's talk. But, uh, but, uh, but those are a close second because it means, it means we're saying the right thing. Uh, that either that person, you know, finally opened one of these or responded because I'm sure they get hundreds a day as well. Um, but, but that it's, it's, it's striking the right chord at least. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause I, I think that it's, um, it's getting harder to communicate trust just through signals like case studies or logos or or even content, um, just because content's great, but it, it's there's so much competition for attention that just getting somebody to get on a webinar or read a long form article can be tough. So I, I think the signal of having a commonality, knowing somebody in common, it's honestly like it sounds kind of a uh, kind of kind of rough or, or, or dark, but I think we're kind of getting back to this tribal like way of building trust with each other, you know, cause we are kind of running out of other signals. There's too much, yeah. there's too much noise. So that's, that's a yeah. lot of what we're trying to build in, in our campaigns basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good way. Yeah. It's a good thing. The noise, you know, there's uh, so many things available at our fingertips and being sent to us. I haven't really, uh, I haven't found content to be successful in in outbound, at least like initial contact. It's great for follow-up. 
if you've got something coming up, like you said, you know, reason to follow up. It's good in the sales process and it's part of sales enablement. But as a as a tool to get someone to say, oh, they know what they're talking about. If I send just an article, you know, if I send a hundred emails with with that link, I might get a link. I might get one click. Right. And I think everybody can kind of like sympathize with this. Like I have enough trouble digesting the content that I, that I love, you know, like whether that's podcasts or information, like I'm already like, feel like I'm behind everything, uh, much less somebody I don't know, sending me something to, to, to read all that stuff's valuable, but people already have to be, you know, wanting to consume it. So they're probably coming in through inbound ways or they get on your radar through the zeitgeist or something. Um, or like you said, yeah, absolutely. Deeper in the funnel, once they already are interested yeah. and qualified, then it's like now, now I'm, it's in my interest to learn about what you do, right? So, um, yeah. so, so couldn't agree more. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, video in a sales email? I think that to, to be honest, we haven't done a lot of it. You know, where we've in order to make this work at scale, um, a lot of it is honestly about deliverability, you know, making sure that the the email can get through uh, and so on. And also, you know, we've been able to do things in a way where referencing a commonality is more than enough to land the call. And that's all yeah. we want to do is de-risk the conversation. So if that happens through video, a custom video, great. But if you can do that in an easier way, we'll, have, yeah. we'll do that every time. So I'm not an expert on it, but that said, I, yeah. I know people that have had great success with it. Yeah. Um, I think that whenever there's like a new kind of hot tactic under the sun, um, it gets harder and harder to kind of like fake personalization, you know? So I think that if yeah. you send somebody a video and it's not clearly obvious that you made it just for them, then uh, people are getting smarter, you know? <laughs> it's, yeah. so it's, it's harder yeah. to make work. Um, plus yeah. there's there's technical issues, you know? Sometimes if you're including links to videos and you're doing it on a mass scale, it's going to be harder to get that to actually land in the right place. Um go off on a tangent about deliverability yeah. a little bit. I think that open rates, a lot of the times people will see a low open rate and they're thinking, you know, hey, I need to work on my subject line. But really what's happening is most of the time that's that's going to spam, it's going to junk. Um, and that's more of a, of a measure of your sending reputation and frankly, like your ability to send people messages they're not mad at. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so that's yeah. that's the main thing we see. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think salespeople... Uh, for the most part, are thinking of the, the deliverability, like what is technically causing that to go to spam or not be delivered to the right inbox. Right. Um, you know, even things like tracked links or, uh, you know, at times adding video, if it's the first thing in, in a first email, I think can affect all of that. And I don't think salespeople have you know, as a whole, there's very smart people. I mean, you obviously know a lot about deliverability and what will get in and what will get out. But as a whole, you know, BDRs, AEs, like that's not probably not on the top of their minds. Yeah. Or and, even and, having that skill set. And I think that's the challenge is is the with that that classic model of having a BDR. Uh, it's there's a lot of skill sets in what a BDR does. You know, we like to think, okay, it's a hustler. It's somebody that, and that, that is a huge part yeah. of it is that hustle. But the other parts are systems thinking, you know, lists mm-hmm. and what, ha- okay, what happens if somebody replies, then where do they go? And then what happens if somebody says no, yeah. you know, thinking about how this yeah. data ties together, the deliverability, all the technical stuff, the sending platforms, the creative, the copy, what are you saying to this person? Eventually, whatever you come up with is going to stop working and then you have to revamp that. So it becomes like three or four different skill sets Finding that one person is really rare, which is which is our pitch for doing yeah. it through a team, or at least build, or if yeah. you can't build the team in house. Um, so that, that's one thing. 
Uh, another another way to think about this, uh, and I know I'm all over the place with our philosophies and stuff, but is a lot of the times I think the work is backloaded, right? Where people say, hey, I'm not going to think that much about the list. I'll buy a list. I'll spit out a list. I'm looking at CMOs of this company or whatever. And then I'm going to put a lot of work into writing a drip sequence and testing it and all these different things. We think about it the opposite way. We put a lot of work into thinking about the people that already have commonalities with our clients and are mm-hmm. already likely to talk to our clients. Well, we don't put a lot of work into um, like drip sequences and stuff. We do put a lot of work into copy and, and writing, hitting yeah. the right beats in the message. But people think I'm I'm crazy because it's so unorthodox. But we 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 literally send one touch point over email uh, as part of our campaigns. We don't do like a follow up sequence. It's not to say we won't contact people again later, maybe 30, 90 days down the road. We send literally one email. And sometimes that email is really ugly. It looks like a wall of text. Uh, but it works because it's it's hitting the right beats. Hey, we have this real connection. We do this yeah. thing. It, it makes sense to talk. So I think that's yeah. a that's a good way to think about it is front load the, the list building and the identification and the copy. But don't worry about as much about chasing people because just, just think about it. Like if you open an email and somebody pitches you on a thing and you don't get back to that person, what are the chances that, you know, you're going to be interested in a week? Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes yeah. I'm not saying it never happens, um, but yeah, it's less and less. Cause it's just like, I know, I know what you are. I know what you're doing yeah. and not right now. And uh, you know, if I was interested, yeah. I get, I've already to said it. no. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So interesting. So what about, so we've been talking a lot about email is is call is is phone calls part of your process? It's not because what we found okay for one for what you we're usually going after mid to large companies. Um, so the whole like dialing dialing for dollars thing. And, and again, I just want to say like I'm not saying I hate it when people say X Y Z is dead. X Y Z doesn't work. Um, yeah, there's absolutely a way to make everything. Yeah. work. The opposite yeah. of a good idea could be another good idea. So I'm sure there's people making this work. For us, it hasn't been. Um, cost effective compared to other things uh just because you know what happens when you get a call from somebody you don't know uh you usually don't pick it up um i, I think where the phone comes in is, is honestly on our client side so once we pass somebody a prospect and somebody that's interested yeah they're genuinely interested because they've gotten back and said they want to talk but then stuff comes up you know that's where picking up the phone and saying hey you know we had a connection um you know we'd love to get something on the calendar yeah. we do have a booking service as an add-on that kind of does that so I, I think that once somebody's you know whatever percentage that is in the top of the funnel, like just yeah. past the first stage, then introducing the phone makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think cold calling on a mass scale works so well for our, our area, which is like mid to large company slash enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you on, I think just about everything you've said is uh, cold calling certainly works for people. Uh, and I know some people that are good at it. I am not good at it. And for the time it takes to leave voicemails over and over again, uh, you know, there, there's more cost-effective ways. And I, I personally, I handle all of our inbound calls of to the agency, and uh, I don't answer any of them because they're all they're all pitches, like they're all cold calling me for trying to sell me something. And I think just the, I've always thought I wanted to run sale, I want to run sales the way I would want to be sold to, and if I don't want a phone call. I'm going to imagine the person that's a good fit for me doesn't want a phone call either. Unless we have, like you said, we have that email, we have that relationship. We've already maybe chatted over Zoom and it's a call follow-up. They know me. It's not a bad, it's not a, like, as you would say, de-risking the situation. And I think, I think it's very appropriate to make phone calls in the sales process, but I haven't always found a lot of success in cold calling 
Uh, yeah. In that sense. And, and granted, to give credit where it's due, there's people that are really good at it. And if they get on the phone with you, you're, you're going to a meeting. Like they're just, they're, they're, yeah. there are people that yeah. have that touch um, and they're, they're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that it's probably not, the opportunity cost is probably too high compared to other things that we've, we've found to work well. Um, yeah. And a lot of this is, you know, a lot of this is honestly combining kind of new and old school stuff. Like I just got back from, from a conference uh, and basically like what everybody says was working is like, Hey, you know, I just, I basically find people that I have a connection with. They went to the same college or like the same sports team. They're in my industry. Yeah. And I, I reference that and it works and like, yeah, we're doing the exact same thing. We just doing it at a bigger scale, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a lot of what we're getting back to, I think is just kind of like, is, is the old school. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's great. Well, Hey Dan, thank you so much for joining. Alex, this was great. Appreciate it. Yeah, hopefully, it was useful. Yeah, uh, I'll put uh, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn and to uh, Sales Schema website uh, so everybody can check you out. Is there anything anything else you want to any last tidbits you want to give people? Um, so that we we have a webinar that's probably worth checking out. It's just called sales it's saleschema.com slash relationships plural. It's not a dating thing. It's short for relationship sales <laughs> and scale. So saleschema.com slash relationships. Uh, and yeah, I host a podcast called the digital agency growth podcast uh, and talk to lots of different interesting people in there. Awesome. Yeah. I'll put a link to, uh, all of those in the, in the notes there too. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Dan. That was my conversation with Dan and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I learned a lot of things, uh, a lot of a lot of terms and a lot of like a more of a methodology behind it. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of personalized outbound, you know, personalized sales, and I think that's kind of where where my skill sets fit in. Uh, but he kind of he kind of brought some things to my attention of like it should be, you know, he sees it as de-risking the situation and how do you essentially you know disarm that idea that it's like a salesperson coming in and you know don't talk to them because they're they're gonna they're gonna you know just try to sell you something and making it more about a relationship, more about building, more about, um, you know, having that opportunity feel less like icky almost. And, and having people, you know, if someone emails you and if the, if they're not mad about it, then that's a good thing. Maybe they respond, maybe they don't, maybe you'll get them again in six months, but really finding a way to connect, uh, that's, you know, not so salesy, cutting through some of the noise because you know he mentioned you know there's uh, different levels of where we are in sales and right now we're, there's a lot of noise everyone's sending a lot of emails a lot of emails are getting deleted or going to spam uh, connections you know LinkedIn is a pretty noisy place but you know I, I think it's this idea of de-risking the situation finding the right opportunities you know building campaigns and it's you know lead gen isn't so much of a switch being turned on and off as it is you know, like a marketing campaign, like any other campaign, it has a life cycle. And then you need to build a new strategy, new target on the next objective or, or audience. So it's a great episode. Uh, he's He's got a great helpful hot take coming out in about a week. So stay tuned for that. Um, of course, you know, listen and subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts and would appreciate if you could share this to you, a friend. Thanks for listening to the B2B Growth Marketer Podcast hosted by me, Alex Mead. The B2B Growth Marketer Podcast is sponsored by Beacons Point. Beacons Point is a growth marketing agency that creates a video-first content approach to attract the right customer and deliver the message at the right time. Find out more at beaconspoint.com. This week's episode is produced by Summer Myers. Thanks for listening. See you next time.